take your Bible today and turn to Romans chapter 8. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, I want to tell you about something that happened to uh, me years ago. Um, Amy had, my wife Amy had this uh, dessert dish, it's called a trifle. And you'll notice that I used past tense, had, you know, because that's going to come into the story in just a minute. But uh, you know what a, you might know what a trifle is. It's got, and it's all glass, beautiful glass, heavy, thick, like real man's type of glass, you know, it's a heavy dish. And it's got this big base, and then it rises up and has this uh, little narrow neck, and then it expands out into this beautiful container. And I look at that container, and I say, fit about 10,000 M&Ms in that thing. That is, that is incredible. Or maybe my salsa. I can make my salsa and put it in that. But, but that's why Amy always hid it from me. You know, I never knew where she kept this thing because she knew I would uh, somehow uh, degrade it or deface it or something like that, you know, using it in a manner that it's not supposed to be used. And so at the time, years ago, she was working at a hospital. And uh, I don't recall what was going on, if it was someone's birthday or or something special going on at the hospital with her co-workers, but she made this incredible dish, this, this beautiful multi-layered, you know, at the bottom has some nice type of crust, and then there's some type of chocolate, and then there's some type of a cream on top of that, and then mousse, chocolate mousse on top of that. And you know a chocolate mousse, it's like a, a, it's trying to be chocolate, but it's not quite chocolate. And so all these multiple layers, beautiful, beautifully made. And uh, so she meant to take it with her to work, but she forgot. She gets to work, she calls me, and she said, uh, David, can you, can, I know it's sort of out of the way, but can you get that trifle and uh, bring that to work? I said, sure. And so I get that trifle, and I, and I put it in the car seat, and I'm, I, like, I, try, I do my best to sort of box it in, and I'm driving all through Tulsa. It's about a 25-minute drive to get to the hospital from our house. And sure enough, um, the thing falls onto the floorboard, the guest floorboard, and uh, the passenger floorboard, and, and just breaks. And there's just gooey, glassy mess everywhere. And so I immediately called Amy, and I said, you won't believe what happened. I was at a stop sign and a burglar came in and pushed that thing to the ground and ran off. It was horrible. I didn't actually say that because I didn't think of it at the time. I should have. But I told her what happened and she was, oh, that's terrible, you know, and I felt, I felt horrible. I felt worse than she felt. She spent all this time doing it. And, I, and somehow I, I just, I would say I dropped the ball, but I dropped the glass. And, and it was just made this terrible mess. And so I thought, oh, i got to clean this up somehow. So I pull into this car wash, and, uh, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do you clean the, the pounds and pounds of chocolate and goo and everything and glass out? And I thought, i got to get the glass out. And so I reach in and to get some glass, and some glass was hidden in the chocolate and sliced my thumb wide open. And so now I've got glass and chocolate and blood. And uh, there's no paper towels here. And I'm looking around, and I see across the street there's a, there's a uh, Burger King. And so I get in my car, and I 
drive across the street trying to stop the blood. And I walk in and I got glass and blood and goo and everything all over my hands. People are watching me like, what is this guy doing? And I get as many paper towels as I can. I stop the bleeding to the best that I can until it's just a trickle. And I can handle a trickle. So, um, and, I, and I go back to the car wash and I try cleaning this up again. And I'm not lying. I slice my other thumb. And so back to Burger King. And now I just think these people are going to call 911 because this nut keeps coming in with bloody thumbs and chocolate everywhere. And finally, stop that bleeding. I'm more careful now. I get it all cleaned up to the best of my ability, vacuumed, scrubbed to the best that I can. And I thought, this is not my day. By now, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Nothing. It is not my day. I'm going to go home where I cannot cause any more damage to myself or others today. You ever have a day like that where it's just, it's obvious from the very beginning, this will not be your day. Nothing will go right for you today. And you might feel like, hey, that describes my life. You know, that's, that's my life right now. Nothing is going right in my life. And you might even, if you have a relationship with God, you might even say, well, God, why are you doing this to me? God, what's going on? God, can you help me out? Because obviously I'm an idiot. I sliced open two thumbs. You know, I need some help here, God. And so you start to, you start to wonder what's going on in my life. Lord, why is all of this happening today? You know, when something's not going right in your life, our typical reaction is to start to look inward. We start to focus on ourselves. And certainly, if you have two bloody thumbs, you're focusing on your thumbs. But, but if something's not going right, whatever it is in your life, you start, it's just natural. You start to look inward like, you know, why me? Or you look at yourself, you know, I got to fix this. And our focus... We don't even realize it, but our focus where it should be on God, it should be on eternity, it becomes focused on the here and the now and the why and the how. And how do I get out of this? And I want to talk to you today about the importance of considering God's larger plan at all times, especially when things are going bad. And it's sort of unnatural to think about, okay, God, what are you doing in the big scheme of things? But really, you have to remember that God is always at work. He's a big scheme of things type of God. And so these little things that happen to us along the way, these are all part of something that's being used to put you in the middle of God's plan. And so God can take even very bad things, horrible things that happen to you, He can take those bad things, and he doesn't call those bad things good, but he can use that evil. He can use those bad things to bring about good in your life. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to remember something. Try to keep this in your mind this week, that there's coming a day when this mortal body, this outer flesh of your mortal body, it will be redeemed. It will be 
resurrected from the dead. It will be glorified to a state that it has never experienced before, just like Christ's body was glorified when he rose from the grave. And I want you to anticipate that day when things are finally the way that God designed them to be. Because on that day, the power of sin will be completely wiped out. That power of sin that still resides in this outer flesh of your mortal body, it's going to be gone. And in fact, the consequences of sin on that day will be no more because God has a much larger plan than we do. His plans are big. Now, a lot of our current sufferings are really self-inflicted wounds, but God is taking all of your troubles, whether it's a self-inflicted wound or something that has happened to you or even someone that has come up against you and is hurting you intentionally, God is taking all of your sufferings and he's using them to carry out his plan. And so in the meantime, until that day, what we're left with is this outer flesh, this mortal body, and it's longing for something that it does not yet have. This body is longing for immortality. And this body doesn't have it. This body is mortal. This body is longing for a day when the power of sin does not affect it anymore. But this body doesn't have it yet. And so it's longing for that. It's longing for that final redemption. In fact, Scripture tells us that all of creation, not just your body, but all of creation, is longing for a final redemption. And that's what we learn in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I'll read aloud be reading from the New American Standard Bible, and you can read and follow along in your version or follow along with the screens behind me. Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes 
for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you might grant us understanding of your word and more importantly that we might be moved by your spirit to obey it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This passage in Romans 8 repeatedly talks about the glorification of this outer body that's coming for us someday. And we learned in the previous verse, in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, that if this body is going to be glorified with Christ first, it has to suffer just like Christ suffered. Now, this body might not be put on a cross and suffer in that way, but sometimes suffering comes for us because we receive the same resistance and opposition from the world that Christ received. But we also suffer a different way. And Christ had to deal with this as well. We suffer because we have a body that an outer flesh that we have to struggle with. Christ himself faced his own temptation. Three of them in particular. And the same three temptations that Christ faced, which was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, those same three temptations are the same ones we face on a daily basis. But Christ faced those temptations without sin. And so we suffer ourselves when this inner, the inner person within us, the spiritual part of us, where the Spirit of God lives and the Spirit of God dwells, when that inner person is in this constant battle with the outer flesh where sin dwells. And sometimes we might ask ourselves, you know, hey, look, is it all worth it? I mean, wouldn't it just be easier to quit following Christ and just sort of do my own thing. You know, a lot of people have made that decision. But it's the wrong one. You and I both know of people that have uh, dropped out of church or dropped out of pursuing God or just flat out stopped caring about even trying to do the right thing. They just came to the conclusion, hey, I'm just in this life for myself. I'm tired of trying to do the right thing because sometimes I fail. Sometimes it's a struggle. It's a battle. It's a fight to try to do the right thing. And I'm tired of fighting. And so... I'm just going to do my thing. And they come to that conclusion. And if they have, they've made a crucial error in their judgment. Because serving the flesh is never the better route. It's never a better idea to yield yourself to temptation rather than to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18 again. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, all of us suffer. All of us suffer with the outer flesh in this battle of trying to do good versus evil. We suffer in that way, but, and no one likes to suffer, but let's not be short-sighted about this. We need to keep fighting the good fight. Every day, if you're a believer, you choose to walk in step with the Spirit of God. You yield yourself to the Spirit of God and you ask Him to accomplish His will 
in you. And so don't give in to those inner desires, the desires of your flesh that lead to death. Because whatever you endure in this life, it will be worth it in the long run if you serve God faithfully. So don't give up. You have to remember, according to the book of Revelation, at the time of the final judgment, all people, all people will be resurrected from the dead and believers will receive glorified bodies. And Scripture indicates that then the records, the books, of the unsaved, of the unbelievers, will be read. And they will be judged according to their deeds. And anyone whose name is not written in the book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. But we will remain. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will remain. That event at that final judgment, that is what will reveal who has been adopted into the family of God. That event will reveal the sons of God. Look at verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean? The anxious longing of the creation. I mean, why is creation described as having anxious longing? That's a weird thing to say about creation. Anxious longing. Why, why does it say that creation waits eagerly for us to be revealed? Those, those kinds of terms, those, that terminology, anxious longing, waiting eagerly. That, that's usually not how we talk about creation. That's usually the kind of language that we would say, talk about a wife who's married to a sailor in the Navy, and he's been off on deployment, and she's waiting every day, waiting every day for him to come home. Why is she waiting? Why, why is there anxious longing? Why is she waiting eagerly for his return? Because there's something missing. Her husband's there, or not there. Her, her, the father of her kids is not there. There's something wrong. There's, there's something hurting in her. And so it's an emotional response waiting for her husband to return. But that's the kind of language that God says this creation has. Anxious longing, eagerly waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Here's what is going on here. Back, way back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, all of creation was corrupted. And theologians surmise that that's the reason we have earthquakes and hurricanes and, and uh, natural disasters like that, droughts and things like that. And, and you might wonder, well, how in the world can this be? I mean, how, why, why is it that Adam eating a piece of fruit you know, we always say it's an apple. Adam eating an apple. Uh, why is that? How is that connected to some hurricane or some tsunami that wipes people out? I don't, I don't see the connection. And, and I, I'd say, well, you know, I really don't know from a physics standpoint. I mean, it would be impossible to try to understand the physical difference in creation now as compared to prior to Adam and Eve's fall. 
we don't have a time machine. We can't go back in time and see what creation was like and do scientific experiments on, on nature before uh, Adam and Eve fell. We can't do that. And so all we can really surmise is that this truth, there is now and there always has been both a physical realm and a spiritual realm. And these realms coexist with one another. And we reside in both realms. And when Adam disobeyed God, it affected both realms deeply. It was a game changer. Let me give you an example. You remember, of course, 9-11. When those planes flew into those towers. The towers were permanently affected. They didn't fall right away. Didn't take long. But those towers were permanently affected. One action had a physical effect on buildings. At the same time, there were spiritual consequences that were felt all over the world by that one physical action. Planes hitting into buildings. You felt that spiritual pain in here. And I would venture to guess that you weren't even in the buildings at the time. You probably weren't in New York. You were probably like me, thousand whatever miles away. But you felt it. People all over the world felt it. Spiritually. One action having an effect in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Likewise, when Adam and Eve sinned, the creation experienced something that it had never experienced before. That this one and only part of creation, Adam, who God made with His own hands, the Creator blew into Adam's nostrils and into his lungs the very breath of life, and that God Himself, the Creator, placed His image in Adam. Something that was not in any other part of the physical creation. God's image was not in anything else, but it was in one physical part of creation. And then God took from Adam and He formed Eve. And these two individuals who were specially created by the Creator, decided to disobey the Creator. And when that happened, there was immediately a spiritual darkness that enveloped all of creation. And I would venture to say that somehow, in a way that we cannot understand, Things changed physically, too. Because now we have this taught in Scripture that the physical creation groans. The physical creation was affected by this new, terrible, spiritual reality. Verse 20. We read, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it 
You see, all of creation was made futile. It was made frustrated. What does that mean? Creation was made frustrated. Why was creation frustrated? Because creation could no longer fulfill its purpose. You might wonder, was creation unwilling to fulfill its purpose after the fall? No. Creation always wants to function the exact way that God created it to function. So why? Why was creation unwillingly incapable of fulfilling its purpose? Because that's what God decided. Well, why would, why would God do that? Because after Adam and Eve sinned, God punished Adam by making it difficult for Adam to get his food from the ground. Prior to the fall of Adam, food grew naturally with little to no effort on Adam's part. But there are consequences to disobedience, and not just consequences to Adam, but consequences to what we might call the innocent creation. God cursed the ground. What the ground did? Nothing. God cursed the ground as a part of Adam's punishment. But the curse that God placed on the ground, it's not permanent. When we are revealed on that final day of judgment as the sons of God, God will remove the curse on the ground. He will redeem creation. There's hope for creation. And creation knows it. Creation longs for that day. It looks forward for that to that day. Look at the last little verse, little part of verse 20, and the rest of 21. We read, "In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God." You see, creation is very much, in a sense, like the outer flesh of our mortal bodies. Creation, just like the outer flesh of our mortal bodies, it is affected by sin. It feels the effects and the consequences of sin. Creation suffers just like our mortal bodies suffer. But you know, we could learn something from creation. Creation does groan. It does suffer right now, and so do we. Uh, You know, we, we groan. We feel the effects of getting older, right, don't we? Especially when you turn 50. We, we feel the effects of uh, getting sicker, having pains, having difficulties, getting cancer, heart issues. We, have, we feel it. All the aches and the pains and the disease of this life, we don't like all that. But notice, notice that the creation, which also suffered, notice that the creation is looking forward. The creation is not looking inward. The creation's looking forward. The creation has hope. The creation is anticipating how wonderful eternity will be. We ought to be like that. No matter how much we're suffering, we ought to look forward to that day when all this junk is going to be gone. But so much of our focus is limited to the difficulties of the here and the now having a bad day, I'm having a hard time, I'm having a bad life, I'm having a bad year. We need to be more like the rest of creation. 
patiently waiting this out and looking ahead to the way things will be when God's plan is ultimately fulfilled. Look at verse 22 and verse 23. We read, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. Creation groans because it's waiting to be made new. It, Paul talks about creation suffering as if, it, as if it's going through the pains of childbirth. And I've never given birth, obviously, to a child. But I would anticipate, I would think, that part of the pain and the suffering of giving birth to a child is the anticipation of seeing that baby. I want to see that baby. And so there's hope. There's a positive at the end. And maybe some of that hope is just, I want this thing out of me right now. I don't know. But there's hope, right? We have, verse 23 says, the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means when we got saved, when we asked Jesus to allow us to follow Him, and we said, Jesus, I believe in You, and, I, and You're my Lord and my Savior, and I'm going to follow You. At that moment, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in our spirit. And so we have the first fruits of the Spirit, which means we have, it's like having a foretaste, just a little foretaste, of what we get to experience forever in full later. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is a preview of what is waiting for us in eternity. You know, there is a difference between groaning in anticipation for what we will receive and grumbling and griping because we're going through a bad time. We ought not grumble and gripe so much as we should say, I can't wait for when this mess that I'm in right now is no more. I can't wait for that day. And so we wait patiently. It's as if the spiritual part of us within us is longing for and reaching out for that new glorified body that is not yet with us. When God sent His Son to make us right with Him, that meant so much more than simply being saved from our sins. That's essential. That is absolutely essential. You have a sin problem if you are not yet saved. You have a sin problem that you have to deal with. That is separating you from God. But what I'm saying is, when Jesus came and He died on the cross and He rose from the grave for us, He did more than simply save us from our sins. He did that. But there's something else that He did. The benefits are even greater than that. You see, because we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 23 says that we will have someday the redemption of this body. This body. This body filled with sickness and old age and and, and is dying. It's constantly dying. From the day we, we begin to live, we start to die. This body that is in this realm of sickness and death is going to be redeemed someday. And we're going to get a brand new body. Right now, it's not yet complete. 
So we look forward in hope. Look at verse 24. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not in hope, for who hopes for what he already sees. This is part of faith. It's a part of believing in something that you can't see yet. There are some things that you're going to have to take God's word at. And this is one of those things. Because there's nothing physically that tells me that this body is going to be made brand new. I can't look at my body and think, oh, it's getting better all the time. No, it's not. It's going the other direction. For all of us, it's going the other direction. But I accept it by faith that this body is going to be made brand new. It's going to be a glorified, redeemed body. And so we hope because we don't see it yet. And by definition, hope means not yet. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We don't see a glorified body. This body that I have is not immortal. It's growing more mortal by the day. And so if I'm going to have hope for something that's not mine yet, I'm going to have to persevere. I'm going to have to persevere, which means I can't give up my faith. If I give up my faith, I'm giving up on the thing that will grant me a resurrected, glorified, immortal body someday. I don't have that body yet, but what I do have is faith. And if I give up my faith, then I don't get either. I must maintain my faith. I can't give up. I need to keep the faith, and so do you. My encouragement for you today is to keep the faith. Remain faithful to God. Keep your faith. You keep following Jesus. You keep setting your eyes on the promise that God has made for you in your mortal body down the road. You're not going to experience it here in this life, but it's coming someday, so you keep on believing. You keep the faith. You keep following Jesus. You keep in step with the Spirit every day. Every day, you need to yield yourself to the Spirit of God and say, Holy Spirit, I am a sacrifice. Use this mortal body with all of its problems and the sins and the temptations and the disease and the death that's awaiting it. Use this mortal body this day however you wish. I'm an offering. It's all I have. All I have is me. And so, God, I offer you me. May not be much, but it's yours. Every day. Every day. That needs to be your heart. Keep walking with the Lord.